Oh, and then those whole things about like um, the words like feminazi being thrown around, like that didn't come from a woman, you know. <laughs> That's um, it's just it feels like the um, like an insecurity or something. I don't know. Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andrea Spindori, and this week my guest is Lorraine Nash. Lorraine is a singer-songwriter and uh, has a number of singles and an EP to her name. The songs in this podcast have been shortened for rights reason. The podcast is also broadcast weekly on Dublin's Near FM 90.3. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way podcasts like these have a chance to survive. The title tune is Alice by Lucky Bones. Can I call you up a while on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Just sit and talk a yeah. Stuff, which is great. So now quite a few publicists or PR companies, whatever, send me music, which is great. And uh, and your our conversation today, I got your latest single, which is lovely. Thank and, you. Uh, and that really is. And I, I'm not great at compliments. If I believe it's something's nice, I, I say it. If not, I, I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> Lorraine Nash, thanks a million for joining me on this um, podcast. Let me ask you a little bit about you because I don't know anything about you. So tell me a little bit, anything that you want to tell me about. Cool. So um, my name is Lorraine Nash and I am living in Kerry at the moment because I'm a bit, uh, I've been housebound. Uh, I was actually living in Cork for, car- uh, for college. I was studying English in UCC. Well, I still am, but not in UCC. Um, yeah, so uh, music stuff. I started playing music when I was like uh, nine and I did a lot of Irish music. Uh, I started playing the tin whistle in school and then started learning violin and flute and harp and all those kind of things and just was like obsessed with learning instruments. Um, And then like in the meantime, I was actually learning like pipe organ and like classical music and those kind of things as well, just any instrument. It wasn't actually until quite late that I started like singing and writing my own songs like maybe when I was 16 or 17 it just didn't occur to me that that's something that I could have done um but that just kind of came from like just an obsession with a couple of songwriters that really intrigued me and I just wanted to know what what they were up to you know (laughs) how are they doing that uh so I kind of started by like learning off a couple of albums like learning how to play them on guitar and then I was like okay maybe I'll try and write my own songs um so yeah like I mean I always kind of wanted to, to be involved in something musically. So like after I'd left secondary school, uh, I went and I studied um, music in CSN. And that was kind of a bit of everything like management and sound and all that kind of thing. And it gave me a bit of direction because I think until that point, I kind of like was like I had all these songs and I didn't really know what to do with them. Um, yeah. And then I put the EP together and um, I actually had finished my two years in CSN and had the EP like recorded. But then I decided to go on and study English just because there's always a little bit of like insecurity when you're doing something in the arts. <laughs> like you feel like you need a degree as well. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Wow, a lot there. Let me go bring you back a little bit because uh, <laughs> you, you started um, playing around nine years of age. That's, that's quite young. And you said you mentioned obsession with learning instruments. Where is all that coming from? I don't really know to be honest um so like I used to compete in um like the flat and all that kind of stuff when I was younger 
Um, I didn't think I was competitive, but I definitely was. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started with the tin whistle, like I said. Um, and then like I just started taking lessons outside of school. Um, and I think um, like a lot of my teachers, they were like uh, multi-instrumentalists as well. And then I just thought that was just a really cool thing, like just to be able to play all those instruments. And um, this stuff, like I had been doing trad for years and then I kind of made a conscious deci- like decision myself when I was a bit older to like do like classical music and stuff like that because it's kind of stood to me now the fact that I can read music and like write string parts and stuff so I'm kind of glad that I went a bit mad. <laughs> that's uh, that's brilliant but I, I'm just always curious about um, that bit of um, you know nine ten you know you go into teenage years and music you know to learn all the instruments you mentioned you mentioned harp which is is a mind-boggling instrument to even look at it's fantastic <laughs> but I, I don't know how you even start learning something what was that like, you know, growing up, you know, in your teenage years? Were you, were you spending tons of time in, in, in the room playing music or? Yeah, I think um, like where I'm growing up or where I grew up, um, like the Kyotis, like that local Kyotis was like a massive part of the community. So like a lot of people my age were actually kind of similar. I mean, a lot of them, I mean, played at least one instrument anyway. Um, and it kind of became like a social thing as well. Because um, I think it is like... If I was just to sit down and play Irish music on my own, it's not really the same. It's very like a social kind of music, isn't it? Um, I think that's where that kind of came from. Um, no, like, I don't know. I don't know where that interest came from, but like, I just, I'm still the same where I'd happily just sit in a room on my own for three hours and just play something, you know? That's brilliant. I know when you mentioned Kyltus, I used to live in Blackrock in County Dublin. There was the nearest one was, uh, and I, I, I don't even kind of pretend to to pronounce it properly, but it was a Kyltus in Monks, Monkstown, and it was a great place to meet and to to either play music or listen to music. And uh, and what, where did you grow up, Lorraine? You say the, the Kyltus. Yeah, so I'm living in Larrican Pond in Kerry, and the Kyltus is in Lixna, so it's like 15 minutes down the road. Um, but like people would come from like loads of different villages to go to that particular Kyotas or whatever but um yeah we had some brilliant teachers there and a lot of it was like even when we were like nine and ten and you're just putting us into a room and we were making a racket <laughs> like it was just encouragement and being with people your own age play music as well I think it's like it's one of the things that would keep people going I think because um I, I was teaching music for a bit as well and I find sometimes like I know myself that sometimes it's hard to keep children entertained, but like when it's in a group setting or something like that, like it's a lot more engaging and you kind of enjoy it a lot more because you look forward to going in the social aspect of it as opposed to like one-on-one lessons and stuff like that. So I think, um, yeah. That's interesting. I'd love to know more about that bit about uh, teaching kids, especially now. Is it the same as when you were learning? Do you think, do you think there is, I mean, I suppose there's always a kid who loves music and a kid doesn't love music. But do you think that um, distraction that may be the the new way of, you know, what is the mobile phones or the social media, whatever? You're like, you're a very young person. And so I'm sure you already had a mobile when you were there. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know what I'm getting at? You know, is, is, is the the kids that you're teaching are... are, are they more, have they more distractions than you would have had? And, and uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think I definitely think so. I mean, I, I like I did have, you know, I didn't I don't think I had a mobile phone until I was like 12. And that probably would have been most like with most people in my age group. But then like, um, I think they're just very um, overwhelmed with the amount of technology they have because like they're literally bringing their phones and their iPods 
the lessons and stuff and they're like checking the time while you're talking to them and you're like <laughs> what's happening uh, I don't know it's crazy like uh, I think it is really hard I don't know if that's just children in general though because looking back I was probably the same but trying to hold a child's attention is just crazy <laughs> I don't know <laughs> they just seem so distracted um, and I suppose it could come from that whole thing of like when they are at home they just want to be constantly like engaged by something like their like gaming consoles and whatever it is but um yeah, I know. I think it's interesting looking back on it though, because like when I'm teaching, I'm just imagining when I wasn't like the child's shoes, and like you'd lie and say you'd practice, and like you're like they always knew that I hadn't practiced, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff as well. Tell me something. Your first song um, you gave me is "Song for Our Daughter" by Laura Marlin, and it's really interesting because um, the last person on this podcast was Ollie Cole, another musician, and that was one of his choices. And, oh, really? I love, and I'd love to know why you picked that song. I just love the message in the song. I just love how it's written. Like, I think um, when you were like, oh, um, saying to pick three songs, I just wanted to have like one of Laura Marling's songs in general because she's like a massive idol of mine. Um, no, I just uh, I just love the message of it. And I think it's very like on brand <laughs> for like the, the, the last single I had written. Um, it just kind of felt like... Um, I'm just in a like even like in college at the moment we're doing a lot of like study on um like women in literature and that kind of stuff and I feel like it's something I'm thinking about a lot more than I would have before and I think it's like the world is thinking about it a lot more than it was before You mentioned something about uh, wanting to get into, you know, you, you learn all these instruments and, and you know, there was a bit of an obsession learning more and more instruments, but then you realize you could actually follow some, you mentioned a couple of songwriters that were kind of your, the ones that made you change into, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write my own music. Who were those songwriters and what, what was that kind of made a difference for you? Um, yeah, so one of the albums was um, Sunny Side Up by Paolo Nicini. I was I just loved that album so much. And then I went off and I learned all that. And I think it was just the thing about like, um, up until that point, really, I had just heard a lot of pop music and a lot of it was, you know, those kind of polished voices. And then hearing that kind of more, you know, that more rugged tone or whatever it is. And the same thing, like Damien Rice was another idol of mine. Um, and looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, they were all like male singer songwriters, you know. But um, yeah, it was just hearing like those kind of alternative voices. Um, yeah. And so your songwriting, um, so you have an EP out, you have a new uh, new um, solo, sorry, a new single out. And I'm sure there's a lot more coming. I hope there's a lot more coming. As I, as I said before, we turn on the microphone. I genuinely love your music. I think it's, it's really, really nice. And uh, with, that, with that stereotype, you know, anything, the first thing that came to mind, I could be completely wrong. I'm no expert, but the first song I heard of you, uh, of yours, I, I told a Diana Kroll. That's the first thing that came to mind. Now, whether you know Diana Kroll or not, but it, <laughs> it's, it, there you go. She's fantastic. Um, 
But your songwriting, tell me about your songwriting process, which that always fascinates me, how everybody has a different way of doing it. Yeah, um, I think for me, um, first of all, the instrument I write the song on, I think does influence like what kind of song it'll be, to be honest. Um, so like anything that I end up writing on piano usually ends up with some sort of ballad. Uh, and then if I was to use guitar, usually it would end up sounding a lot more like something like more trad or more folk or whatever. So I think I feel like um, that's kind of how I would, um, I don't know, if I was feeling like I needed to change something up, I would try and write something on a different instrument. Um, I think that's something that would just, it kind of open your opens your mind straight away. Um, yeah, and then my actual writing process, I think it's just different every time, to be honest, because like I could just decide, sit down and be like, I'd like to write a song now and nothing will ever come out. For a, a lot of the time, it's usually if something will come to my mind, that's when I'll write something. It'll be something that I've already thought of before I've even like picked up an instrument or sat down to play something. Um, yeah, because I just think the worst thing in the world is trying to force yourself to write something just doesn't work for me and I've tried it you know I had a musician from the US on this podcast and she said to me everybody can write a song and I said I don't know if I agree with that would you agree with that statement I think um I think I would agree with it because everyone can write a song I mean no matter how good or bad it is I suppose but if you look at like a lot of folk music is words put to a melody that's already there and I mean that counts as writing a song do you know what I mean a lot of songwriters wouldn't be musicians as well um or even like a lot of people would start by writing their poetry first and then like you know that can be put to music somehow um no I definitely think so especially like um like I was saying I had like gone to that college in Cork to study music for a bit and there was you know songwriters in the class and there was people that weren't songwriters but like they thought they weren't songwriters and then it's kind of, um, it's definitely a mental block because it's something you think you could never do. And then obviously it's not like the first thing you write is going to be brilliant anyway. So it can be a bit discouraging, but I think it's just pushing through that stuff that you end up writing at the start that's obviously going to be terrible. And uh, tell me, what, what do you want to out of music? Well, I mean, obviously it's music is part of you if you start at nine, but what do you... What do you want to get out of uh, writing albums and gigs? What what is the the, the drive there for you? Um, actually, for me, <laughs> usually I end up enjoying like the actual writing and recording process more than the gigs. And I don't know what that is. I suppose it's just because that's what I I know a lot more. Just because like the gigs that I had planned, like literally my first gig was planned when the pandemic happened and that ne gig never happened. So all of my gigs have been live streamed. So I'm like, I don't think I have the excitement for them as I should yet. But because um, like, I, I just love, my favorite thing is to sit down and just to arrange songs and to like layer instruments on top of them and all that thing, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know um, if I'm thinking massively towards the future. Well, I am because I'm like recording but um, I think I just enjoy the process of actually doing it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I know, look, and I know uh, it's, I suppose it's relatively new to you, but, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a future there. I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping there's definitely a future. But <laughs> also, it's an interesting time because um, you're coming into it uh, while 
the world has changed, okay, apart from the gigs, which is, uh, but also the way the music has been delivered, the way I consume music and everybody else consume music. So, for example, as I was saying, my little um, um, project that I do, the radio show, um, it's quite interesting because it really is important from what I'm gathering, it's important for you guys, artists, to have the music played on radio. Well, you know, you can yeah. have, I, I don't know how many streams you have on Spotify, but is there a difference for you to, to see that the, your single is going to be out of all the radio station this week, uh, regardless of many streams? Tell me a bit about that difference for you, if there is a difference. I think it feels as well like um, if like a radio DJ like would play your song on you know the radio and they chose to play that song it feels like a bit more validation <laughs> you know um, streams is just such a weird thing as well because like you can try so hard to like push people to play your song on Spotify and stuff like that but then it's just like usually um, it's just things like if you got onto a good playlist or whatever it is like that that just feels like what the goal is with um with things like Spotify. Um, but then with radio play, I think it's nicer to think about it um, just because you don't know how many people are listening, but it's just the fact that like someone has actually chosen your song and you know that they're actually someone that is knowledgeable about music if they're a radio DJ and that kind of thing. That's great. I, I love that. I think that thing about validation, I think every musician has been on this is, it, it, it has, has talked about that, but um it, it, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you know you, you're writing your song for the right reason. You you want to get a message out there, yeah. And uh, and then you know I I find it it's 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 a it's a very it's obviously very subjective. You know I, I really genuinely like your music, but is it the best music out there? I don't know. I like yeah. it, you know. <laughs> and but it but it's um yeah I I find this uh, this uh, detachment between the artist and the consumer. It's, it seems to be the biggest problem at the moment that, that, that you know, you're, you're quite far removed from me listening to whatever medium I decide to listen. What is, and, and what, what, what is it like? I mean, like in terms of, you know, say YouTube, you know, is it comments on YouTube important to you or how, how else do you get validated in, in this? Um, like, to be honest, things like, okay, comments on YouTube and like, the social media thing like before literally like last uh when was it last march when i started like the ep campaign i literally didn't exist on social media i had absolutely no interest in it <laughs> so like for me it was just like a necessary evil um because like obviously it's so lovely um to have people commenting on whatever it is or retweeting things and sharing things but then i, I hate like just seeing notifications on my phone and things like that I'm like I'm gonna have to look at that <laughs> I'm just the worst because like I'm just like I'm not a massive fan of social media but the way things are now it's just it's just how you engage with people yeah. like it's kind of one of the only ways that's brilliant I, I, I didn't realize that's the shows how much research I did um, I didn't realize it was as early as last March that because I think I, I think I played one of your your single from the EP around May last year um and so I didn't realize I, I, I joined your journey that early, which is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. It's great to hear. Tell me about, uh, this is, is a fantastic artist, uh, Father John Misty. Um, I'm writing a novel. Tell me about that song. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I think he was the same like as Laura Merling. I was just like, I'm going to pick one of his songs because like there's just so much to unpack in anything that he writes. It's just madness. Like, um, 
Yeah, I think he's great because like I had found out who he is just because um he used to be with Fleet Foxes and like I'm a massive fan of that band as well. But um no, it's just just complete madness. Like anything he writes is brilliant. Um like I really liked um what was his last album? Oh, the one before that, Pure Comedy. Um and a lot of it is kind of just it's a lot about American culture. So sometimes a lot of it you wouldn't really relate to, but I just I just enjoy listening to his lyrics and sometimes like as you're hearing it, it's just a line will stick out in, in my head. Um, and just the actual, just, just the style of music that he writes just really appeals to me as well. I ran down the road, pants down to my knees, screaming, please come help me. That Canadian shaman gave a little too much to me and I'm writing a novel. Because it's never been done before. I'm thinking about a beautiful woman driving a hearse. First house that I saw, I wrote house up on the door and told the people. Now, tell me a little bit about. Um, I mean, you, you studied in English. Um, I don't know how far, how far have you got left, how much have you got left in college? Is it this or your last I have year? One more year after this. What's so the plan I'm doing then? I don't know. <laughs> That's a scary question. Um, so after this year, see, I had been thinking um, literally like up until this year that I would love to do like, um, like just to go straight in and do a master's in something. Because it is like I did want to get a degree, but I probably picked one of the most broad degrees you could pick. <laughs> so then I feel like I'd have to specify in that. But like, I don't know. Because um, I like as I was um, choosing what I wanted to study, I picked this and I was thinking, yeah, this is great because it'll apply to like songwriting and stuff as well. But I don't think it really has affected my writing as much as I thought it would. Um, maybe it has subconsciously. But um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like I had been thinking about doing a master's and something to do with like um, something along the lines of like PR um, just because um, or just something in music journalism. But I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> and, and, and the reason I'm asking that question is because uh, so when I'm talking to you again in five years' time, when you know, your album has gone platinum, and <laughs> I I, I'm just I, I'm just trying to see where um, how music fits in with everything, and how are you going to keep the music uh, as part of your life while yeah is is there a plan there or um, yeah? So I mean, now that you say it, like this year. Um, I got way more music stuff done than I had before, obviously, because couldn't go to college or whatever and no work and that kind of stuff. And then I was thinking about the fact like that if I had spent my year uh, in Cork, like in college, I wouldn't have recorded anything. And I know that for a fact. I definitely wouldn't have just because, um, you know, you're living with housemates and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think it's just it's such a it's a hard thing to balance because like it does take up quite a lot of time. Because um, even now that the songs for this album are written and they're arranged, I'm still thinking like I should start writing new stuff, but then I still have to promote all this other stuff. It's like it just never ends, <laughs> but in a good way. But it's like, um, how do you balance that with other aspects of your life? I guess. Um, so, yeah, I would like to do. That's why I was thinking like I'd love to do something else involved in music, um, like music journalism or something that just feels like it's fitting into the same vein as that. So my head would be in the same space. But um, yeah, because like actually before I left school and um, the other things I had been thinking about doing were like maths of like architecture and things like that. But I was like, sure, I'll never have time to do music if I do that. 
That's good to know. It's good to know you're going to still fit music in somewhere, somehow. But the, that's it. You mentioned promoting the album. Is that something you look forward to? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'm very much looking forward to getting this next song out because um, it feels like it's been such a build up to it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, they're all they're not even recorded and I'm already thinking about when I'm going to release them as well, which is kind of mad. But um, yeah, all that other stuff that goes along with it, like things that have put me out of my comfort zone, I've enjoyed them a lot more than I thought I would have. Like things like recording music videos, like that's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> they're very <laughs> good. They're very good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, good videographers. But um, yeah, yeah, I think um, it's actually put me in um, doing a lot of things I never would have done, which is nice. But other things other than music, um, like things like having like promotional like photographs done. <laughs> That's also something I, I would have like dreaded, but um, yeah, you kind of get used to things like that. And tell me something, what's the, um, what's the festival you're going to play at? What's the one you, you really want to play at? Is it Electric Picnic or is it, uh, I don't know, Coachella? What's, what's, the, what's the one? Imagine Coachella. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't, uh, Electric Picnic would be great. I don't know if um, I get a good turnout for folk music <laughs> um, <laughs> you'd never know though and to tell me something who who would be the because it's funny you call it folk music I I don't know what was in my head when I was listening to especially to your last uh, the latest single uh, Sing With Her which uh, I, I don't know I think it's it's I think it's transcend a little bit the folk and uh, again I mentioned Diana Kroll and uh, she was one of the singers in the album Oh Brother Where Art Thou of the of the yeah, movie. Yeah, okay. So she's an amazing voice, but I don't know what you call uh, you know gospel or whatever. There's a there's a bit yeah. of a, there's a bit of a, uh, in your you know that's my own opinion. I I I'm no expert, but uh, but uh, I wonder if um, who would who would be the 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 artist you would love to do a duet with anybody. Who would be the man, the man or the woman that you would love to do a duet with? Uh, a duet with? I'd probably say Laura Marling. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, a lot of female singer-songwriters that I would look up to, I mean, anyone like that, like um, like Lucy Rose is someone else I really admire. Um, and like Wallace Bird, like anyone like that. Yeah, she's fantastic. Speaking yeah. of female artists, um, I had a Laura, um, Linda Coogan Byrne on this um, podcast mm. a few months ago, and she had just launched a campaign to to improve the amount of music um, played on radio by female artists. At the time when I spoke to her, it was it was ridiculously low. It was just embarrassingly low. I mean, and, yeah. and to my mind, it never even crossed my mind. I was just going for music. I was going for the music that I thought it fitted in. Lorraine Nash fitted in with Ollie Cole or yeah. whatever. Give it a nice hour. And it never, never occurred to me there was male or female. But did you find that? Have you found that? In the, you know, it is, it is harder for you to get on anywhere than a male artist? Or would you know? I think so far, I think I've been incredibly lucky um, with how things have gone. Just like I'm saying as well, like I had only my first release like last March. So my experience of this isn't vast, but um, it's it's something like I was just saying earlier as well. Like even the, the singer songwriters I listened to when I was younger, younger, they would have all have been male. 
And like, it's kind of something that you don't even notice until it's pointed out. Um, yeah, because like looking at those graphs, it was crazy. Like how, like those numbers, that was mental. Um, yeah, it's just looking at it like that. Um, I think it had a bit of an impact on me, hence the song. <laughs> you know? Okay. Tell me about this other artist, a male artist, uh, Don McLean, and the song is Vincent. Um, why did you pick that song? It's just always been one of my favorite songs, you know. Uh, yeah, I just love those kind of like those story songs as well. Um, I w- I've always like wanted to write one and I've tried and I've failed. But uh, I think one day I'd like to write something because I-, I know that's just literally just like a portrait of an artist in a song. And I just love that idea. Starry, starry night. Paint your palette blue and gray. Look out on a summer's day. With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snow Tell me about your song, the one you just released in this week, if I'm correct. I don't know when this podcast is going out, but it's in the round. We're now at the end of April. It's going out on the 28th, if I remember correctly. Oh, it's going day. out on the 30th. 30th, 30th sorry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a couple of days off. So it's going off, going out in a couple of days. This will come out just after um, the, the, yeah. the single goes out. But tell me about that song. You said you just said that's why you wrote that song. Tell me a bit about it. Yeah, so um, that song, I suppose it's written about, well, I mean, it was inspired by that Why Not Her movement, but I suppose it's just written about um, just gender inequality in general. And how I suppose a lot of men can think it's emasculine to seem to be seen to be like talking about those kind of things and just how ridiculous that is. Um, yeah, because like you can almost imagine that like a lot of men wouldn't talk about those kind of things for fear of being mocked about them and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's that's where the idea from the song came from. Tell me a bit more about that. What, what do you mean about a lot of men wouldn't? Give me a bit more specific. Because I'd be curious too. Um, I suppose just, um, see, I don't want to generalize, obviously, but um, a lot of men uh, would be too proud to kind of stand up for those kind of things and to speak openly about them, um, just in case it looks like they're, oh, and then those whole things about like, um, the words like feminazi being thrown around, like that didn't come from a woman, you know, <laughs> that's, um, it's just, it feels like the, um, like an insecurity or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. That's an interesting one because um, we are obviously a different generation. My daughter is 18 and I had a couple of conversations with her about feminism and, uh, and she was, I wouldn't say dismissing it, but you know, this different, language now uh, at 18 talk about yeah i don't know i don't know i don't even know what you call it anymore uh, because i don't think it should be that distinguished you know should they, they yeah. have it but what, what do you find i mean your generation and the way you interact with your college friends or whatever it's is it getting better or is the people the, the men without generalities the men you're talking about it are the men of my generation are the the older ones that i can you know dinosaurs that can't get over it uh, and I wouldn't take it as an offense, by the way, because <laughs> I'm trying to understand, is, is that what it is? Is that a generational thing? Have we finally moved away from that? And uh, is it going to be a case in the next few years when all the DJs are a lot younger than 
the music would be 50-50 or whatever. It would be based on quality as opposed to gender. I wouldn't think it's a generational thing. I mean, there's definitely a lot of people my age that would be the very same. Um, and like, I suppose you could just, you could use it or you could view it as backwards and say it's like, a, I don't know, like an older opinion. But I don't know if it is because it's definitely something that's lingering. Because um, obviously, like you're saying, like how do my generation talk about this? But obviously like, the other like females in my life that's something you'd openly talk about but just I suppose it just depends just the one thing about um the fact that you wrote a song about this it is that the is that the idea like you would you you'd rather write a song obviously if you if you like Laura Marlin if you like Father John Missy whatever, there's oh even McLean that having yeah. a message is that the idea you know your music has to have a has to have a purpose as opposed to just a nice ballad that you get a bit of radio play. Is that the, the idea? That kind of, that song felt like the first one that actually had a more like broad message that wasn't just directly re- related to myself. Um, just like the other songs in the EP were just all like kind of from personal experiences. Um, but I suppose that one is written from personal experience, but I suppose it's like relatable, if that makes sense. Sure. Let me ask you a last question about music. Um, you mentioned you arrange everything, uh, you do all your arrangements and stuff. In, do you go to studio or you, you, have, you have facilities at home to do all of it? So I had been going to the studio, uh, well, I was for the first DP. And then I released a song at Christmas and that was kind of like a trial run for recording at home. I just bought like a nice microphone and a nice interface and stuff like that. And I just wanted to see how it would go. Um, and it worked fine and then that was kind of like the green light to go ahead and record like material for the album um, especially like when let's say people that are playing bass and drums um, I kind of just sourced people that had recording facilities at home as well just because I mean I could I, I don't think I could have waited I was going to say I could have waited but like there's just no telling how long that would have been yeah but you prefer to go to the studio would you if you had a choice definitely yeah um because like I could compare something that I've recorded like at home um with something that's been recorded in like at the studio I'm still using the same engineer as I had been actually but we're just doing it over like kind of like a Skype kind of situation where he's controlling my interface and all that kind of stuff so it's mad what we can do um and we're very lucky that we can actually do that but um it's just in my head I'm like oh would this have been better if it had been recorded in real life and it mightn't have been but you'll just wonder Tell me, actually, I said that was the last thing, but I, I'm very curious, so I'm going to ask you last thing now <laughs> about, uh, <laughs> um, about uh, using, you know, Max, um, Max Blackburn put us in touch for this conversation. Um, just tell me a bit about that particular interaction with, uh, you know, she's a PR, um, PR publicist. I'm not too sure she is. She's PR, right? Yeah. How... How valuable is that? How important is that to have somebody to to do that bit of the business part of the music? Yeah, no, I think that's hugely important because like, I suppose the fact of the matter is like recording anything is, it's pricey. But I think um, you see a lot of people and they have poured a lot of time and energy and money into recording something. But like they haven't considered that promotion aspect and that's where the downfall is. And that's why no one would hear that music because there's definitely stuff out there um, that could be doing really well on radio that just hasn't had that push it needs. Um, so I think if you've come so far and you put all the time into it, you might as well go that extra mile and like 
um I think it's massive I don't think I would have got like I don't know where that EP would be it'd probably just be down like under my bed in a box <laughs> if I didn't have Max that's great to hear because I know sometimes it's also it's your baby you just don't everything to this baby you need to make sure that it gets um put out there um, I'm delighted to see that your choice of book is is my favorite book of all time. And, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, the, picture of Dorian, the picture of Dorian Gray. And I'm delighted you, you studied English. And uh, I first read it in Italian, which is, uh, I have to admit, didn't have the same effect when I finally okay. learned English. I read it in English. But uh, why the picture of Dorian Gray? Um, well, it's my favorite book. <laughs> I think I had first, like first read it when I was in like fourth year and I was still in school. And it was just one of those books you read and you're just like, you're just sat thinking about it forever. Um, and just the fact that it's like a book and just all the references to art and the whole thing of like art is useless and just that whole thing of, um, I think I, I re- not that I related to it, but like something that I really enjoyed from it is that like, people try to derive a lot of meaning from the art you make. Um, and sometimes like art is just art. It can, it can just be there for the sake of it. Absolutely. And, uh, and but talking to you this uh, last few minutes, 40 minutes or so, uh, there is definitely an artist in you that is beyond uh, just you know, making the music. <laughs> I think there is, uh, you know, you're doing it for um. the right reason. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that you know you don't um, you, you know you don't produce uh, uh, that quality of music if you don't really believe what you're doing. You know, it's uh, a lot of people can play the guitar and a lot of people can play all the other instruments you do, but to actually put something together, the value and uh, of a quality, it's it's uh, it's it's great. So um, that's it. So it's fascinating. So I'm looking forward to see you on stage, wherever that stage is going to be. <laughs> and whenever, yeah. <laughs> when, have you no, no plans yet for it? I mean, obviously, everything's kind of on hold, but is there anything that you already booked? I have. Um, I have the Westport Folk Festival, but that's a live stream. And there's another gig coming up in the Triscoll, um, but that's a live stream as well. So, um, oh, and there's the Kinsale Folk Festival, that is may or may not be live depending <laughs> you know and that's july so it's just to see how things go okay so yeah it's a, such a shame that, that we don't know we don't know whether we can buy tickets or book tickets or i know it's crazy and do you do you do much in the kind of local apart from the the kilters do, any in the local uh, you know bars or you know that cool places like I don't know what, what's in Kerry but you know the likes of the Barra in Clonakilty is always a good spot to, to go and listen to some, some cool music do you do much in there? Um, I hadn't actually uh, played any gigs <laughs> until um, well I had a few booked and that was that but like what I used to do which was like my summer job was playing the piano in hotels around Kerry so they just like ring me and be like okay tomorrow night you're going to be in this fancy hotel and play for a load of rich Americans and then you go somewhere else the next night and you'd meet some characters. That was a good time. <laughs> okay, I need to ask you about that because I, in my years and years and years ago, my last job before I came to Ireland, I was, I used to run um, a really well-known restaurant in the center of Rome and I had a piano man. That's, that's yeah. what is there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he came in and he sat there and he played for three hours or whatever it was. And he just yeah. entertained and he would play whatever. And uh, and I always felt for him because nobody really listened to him. 
I felt. <laughs> I could have been wrong. <laughs> he needed to be. I remember, the, I, you know, the, the, his brief was, you need to be light enough to cover the sand of the, the plates, but you're not too light so that we, <laughs> yeah. can't, we can't talk to each other. What was yeah. it like to play? You just completely zone out and do your thing or? It depends on where I am. Because like I said, it was literally all over Kerry. Um, I had some interesting situations. Um, like people, a lot of the time, they would ask for like requests and that kind of thing. I had a couple before um, ask for the song from the Titanic and they had like booked out a whole ballroom to have their dinner. And then they were just dancing and I didn't know how long it was going to go on for. So I was probably playing that Celine Dion song for about 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, and you get it. Like, like I said, it's like a lot of Americans coming to places like Clarity and they want to hear like Irish folk songs and stuff like that. So um, I think it did depend on where you are, because like if I was in just a restaurant like that, you are very much just background noise and you just come in, sit down for three hours and you could literally play the same thing for three hours and no one would actually know. <laughs> but then there was other places like that. And even um, like wedding receptions where people would have like requests and it was kind of a bit more like you're engaging with people, which was nice, kind of broke up the, the three hours. Wonderful. Well, Lorraine, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. Unfortunately, virtually. You too. Like yeah. everything else. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> Please keep making music because it's genuine. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous music. And uh, I hope to see you live somewhere, somehow. And uh, definitely yeah. keep promoting your music as much as, my little bit, as much as I can. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you so much for having me as well. At the back of the band Keeping time strong But you don't understand you won't sing along The most beautiful of sounds Come from the unknown Up from underground So you better stoop down low And show me what you've